Hey there, Lions. Did you know that you can get access to exclusive bonus audio content by joining our paid support group, the Lions of Liberty Pride? For as little as $5 a month, you can help us grow this program to new heights. Learn more by heading over to lionsofliberty.com support. Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, it is time for Felony Friday right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. This, of course, is the show that focuses each and every single Friday on exposing injustice in the broken criminal justice system. On today's episode, I have a great show lined up for you. I'll be interviewing Officer Dominic Izzo. Now, Officer Izzo has caused quite a controversy over these past few months. He's been speaking out against police corruption, the war on drugs. Now, before I introduce Dominic, this is the 69th episode of Felony Friday, so that means you'll be able to find links and notes to everything that Dominic and I discussed at lionsofliberty.com slash ff69. Okay, let's get to this interview. Today, my guest on Felony Friday is Dominic Izzo. Officer Izzo is a 16-year veteran police officer. Maybe you've seen his videos that he often records in his car. They've probably popped up in your YouTube feed or on your Facebook feed. During his time as a police officer, Officer Izzo received numerous honors and awards while serving in communities And as he says on his website, it is his goal to bridge the gap between the police and the public through education, empowerment, and respect. In 2015, Officer Izzo started publishing some videos that began to expose police corruption. He spoke out against such things as the war on drugs and revealed some shady dealings that went on behind the scenes, the place where he worked, the Round Lake Police Department. He vocally opposed the system that he believed was using officers was using officers to punish the very people that they were hired to serve. And late last year, Officer Izzo uh, was, well, at first he called for his police chief's resignation and then ultimately was terminated by that police chief. We'll get into all this with Officer Izzo. Dominic, welcome to Felony Friday. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate that. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And <clears throat> I'm sure a lot of my listeners out there are familiar with your uh, your videos that you do shoot in your car. It's kind of your your go to. And um, how I you know came to land this interview with you, I jumped onto a Facebook Live with you and reached out. I should come on the podcast, and you were gracious enough to do so. You were shooting a video, smoking a cigar in your car. So let's <laughs> start off first with so why the uh, why the car videos? Why is that your why is that your go to? You know what? It, it's what it's what works. And the first video I did was when I was with uh, the Round Lake Park uh, Police Department. Uh, you know, it was right after the Glenowitz uh, uh, suicide back in 2015. And um, you know, I pulled over to the side of the road to do a video, and it just made sense. You know, it's a cop work. Cops are mostly out there in their cars. And uh, quite a few times I tried to sit there and break the uh, the mold of being in the cars. But there's just there's a level of comfort for me. And intimacy with people because you're in your car. You're not in an office or whatnot. You keep things personable. Um, and it just it just stuck. It stuck and I kept with it. And every time I try to change and either do a video of me uh, in my office or in a different setting, it just doesn't it doesn't have the same feel and people don't respond as well. So for some reason, people like the uh, 
the automobile uh, reference, and I think it has a lot to do with you know where they associate cops uh, being with. So it just it's it's uh, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Yeah, and unfortunately, the listeners won't be able to see you during this podcast, but they can safely know that you are recording this in your car. So that's... I do it in my car, absolutely. It's where comfort is, right? Exactly. Um, so I, I do want to talk. You did reference there the uh, Officer Glennowitz suicide, and I do want to talk about that. But before we get into into that stuff and into the reasons why you you spoke out against police corruption and brought this stuff forward in these videos, um, I just want to get my audience to get to know a little bit more about you, what makes you tick. And you were a cop for for 16 years. Correct. What what first of all, I guess, what led you into that field? Why did you want to become a police officer? I'm an idealist. I truly believed at that time, and it took uh, years to figure out the truth of it, but I believed at the time that I could change the world, and even if it meant affecting one person's life. And there have been several instances where I truly felt, uh, you know, you, you make that proverbial impact on someone's life, and you truly do feel um, like you've made a difference. But over the years, uh, both uh, with maturity as, as an officer and maturity as a person, I stayed in the job because I realized that being a police officer, in my opinion, is one of the greatest, if not greatest, careers that allows you to become a better person. You know, I, I say all the time that uh, whenever someone comes up to me and says, you know, hey, you inspire me, I want to be a cop, my, my question to them is why? And I get a lot of great answers, you know, and I hear that oh, I want to make a difference in my community. I want to put the bad guys away. I want to get drugs off the street, this and that stuff. And I'm always looking for a specific answer from people that I don't hear too often. And it doesn't occur to them to say. And I tell people, you know, your answer, in my opinion, should be a selfish one. You should be saying, I want to be a cop or I want to stay a cop or I, you know, I love my job as a cop because it is going to offer me a chance to be a better human being, you know. So for me, I have selfish motives for my passion with law enforcement. I truly think that being a police officer provided me the best opportunity ever to be my potential as, as a man. And uh, I, I don't see any other profession for me personally that offers that uh, that, that, that that option. What, what did you do before you were a police officer? Because you did get a start a little bit later in life in law enforcement, right? Yeah, I was a bartender. I was a bartender for years before becoming a cop. And a lot of my patrons are cops. And they said, you know, you you'd make a great cop. And I went, no, I don't want to do it. And I know I don't want to. But and then as time went on, you know, I didn't see any value at contributing to society and getting people drunk. You know, I didn't drink and I was behind that uh, that counter and I served the drinks and I made a lot of money. But what was I really doing to help people? You know, I, I was not fulfilled as a bartender. It was it did not give me it filled my pocket. But it didn't fulfill my uh, my spirit, so I, I took the test, and within four weeks I got hired on my first test. Wow! So shift, shifted that quickly, and within really within a couple of months, uh, you go from standing behind a bar dishing out drinks to right. <laughs> to catching those people when they come mm -hmm. out of the bar and get in their car and and try to drive off and get a DUI. Well, I was I was never that entrapping, but uh, yes, <laughs> I, that's pretty much a uh, pretty much accurate. So let's let's start to talk about um, some of the stuff that you've you've spoken out about. And I think a good place to start is where <clears throat> in one of your videos, and I, I forget which one. I've watched so many of them over the past couple of weeks here. But one of the videos you really, I think you pointed to three or four events um, that occurred when you were a police officer that triggered you to speak out. Because I think you you talked about that as as you started off early in your policing career, you were you know maybe. I don't know if aggressive is the right word, but a very a, a go-getter cop, and maybe absolutely you, you were leading the force in uh, DUI arrests, stuff like that. Aggressive is a fair word. 
um, what, so what are the events that, that sort of triggered your, your transformation then? Well, I, I took a few years off in between departments. And when I came back, um, I was like a 40 year old rookie. I was really gung ho going at it. And I was knocking down, uh, as many DUIs cause I'm, I'm very ruthless and unapologetic for DUIs. Um, as a matter of fact, my last DUI I wrote was another cop. Uh, I don't, I don't believe that I, th- I think it should be a jailable offense. Um, you know, we were doing uh, a lot of search warrants for drugs and, 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 and you know, I, I'm very big balanced into the community policing aspect. I tell people all the time, the type of cop that I wanted to be and I strove to be daily is, is if I showed up on scene, I got one of two responses and that's either, oh, oh, add an expletive, uh, Izzo's here or, oh, thank God, Izzo's here. I wanted one of those two responses. Um, that said, we had the Glenowitz. The turning point for me was the Glenowitz uh, suicide. And for anybody who doesn't know, the Fox Lake Lieutenant in 2015, uh, Charles Joseph Glenowitz, uh, killed himself uh, before his tour of duty started. And it stirred a nationwide manhunt. Um, It was a very profound, moving experience for me to see the community that tightly put together because this town was four miles from the town that I policed in. Um, Obviously, we at the time were under the impression that uh, this was a, a murder and we were manhunting for three people. And it was later, uh, later came out that, um, you know, it was a suicide. And the issue I had with it at, at that time, well, I didn't know. I, I didn't know specifically. Something wasn't sitting right with me, but I didn't know it. My chief who of my department was also in charge of an organization called the Lake County Major Crimes Task Force. He's the commander of the, our, our county's major crimes task force. Um, pieces of puzzle that started putting together was uh, my chief pretty much was, from lack of better description, um, you know, allegedly in charge of this massive disc- massive, massive uh, uh, pulling the farce, this, this pulling the wool over our people's eyes, saying, hey, this guy killed himself, and potentially they knew it that day, that hour, that minute. And then for months, though, everybody thought that we were looking for uh, murderers. Prior to that, I had found out if, that if I, can chief, just, if I can jump, no, in, absolutely. If I can jump in real Please. quickly. So how, how did he kill himself then that, that it was able to be confused or, or become a farce that look, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I, and I hold my opinions uh, and I've even questioned this the way that they, the way that the, the evidence showed is that Glenowitz killed himself by pumping two rounds of ammunition into himself. So the first one allegedly went into his bulletproof vest or not, or factually, I don't say allegedly. Uh, from what I was told, it went to his lower uh, abdomen and his, and his bulletproof vest. And then medical evidence shows that he had to reach over and he wore an external vest carrier cover. So he had to reach over, point the, point the, uh, the, the, this pistol into his, uh, into his chest through the, uh, you know, underneath the bulletproof vest and pull the trigger again. And I said it a million times, and, you know, and again, I'm no conspiracy theorist. I'm not going to go against what the medical evidence says, but I have no idea how somebody could psych themselves up to kill themselves, put a round into their, into their vest. And then despite the shock, the physical and emotional shock of the aftermath of having been shot in, in the bull in the vest, decide to put another round into themselves. So, you know what, that's, that's very sketchy for a lot of people up in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, based on how half-assed the investigation was held. Uh, you know what? I'm not going to mix words. My, in, in my personal, not professional, my personal opinion, based on the actions of, of the man who ran the investigation, George Falenko, who's my chief of police, former chief of police, he screwed it up. 
Um, what led me to to start this this personal path of exposing this corruption is that he also was the lead investigator in a woman named Melissa Kaluzinski, who under a nine hour interrogation got she he got her to confess that she killed a, a toddler, a, a toddler named Ben King and threw him down to the ground, fractured his skull. Um, it would be later, years later, uh, released that the coroner, who was both involved in, like, in, in Glenowitz's investigation and then in, in reviewing uh, Kelly Zinsky's uh, murder, that she did not. There was no way in hell she could have, um, could have, could have killed this toddler. And, it, and, and the people started investigating. They looked at the interview tapes. And the interrogation tapes, and they found out this girl was 22 years old. She was a former victim of, of a sexual attack. Uh, she had a, a verbal IQ of 74. And it takes a rookie cop who has two weeks on the job to look at this girl's being bullied in, in an interview by a six foot two man and another cop to know that she didn't do it. So I started to look at these things and say, I, I work for a man who has no integrity. And the more I researched him, the more I started to see his background and I, I started to take action. And, uh, you know, like you said, I demanded his resignation. And uh, three weeks after I demanded his resignation, they terminated me. So there's uh, those are the two major things that kept me up at night, uh, knowing that I worked for somebody who has no integrity. But yet it was a police chief and in charge of the county's uh, biggest uh, crime unit. Uh, I, I couldn't sit still any longer for that. I couldn't I couldn't stay silent. Before you demanded your police chief's resignation, you did speak out in, in you know, a string of videos. And in one of those videos, or maybe multiple videos, you talked about a point system that was in place that really led to a lot of this corruption. So can you kind of outline what that point system was and, sure. and, and how the, it worked? The department has a, a has one officer that they wanted to get out. And he was a, he's probably the best cop they have. Uh, ironically enough, he was my partner. And it was... It was voiced commonly that the deputy chief and the chief of police had a very big disdain for this man and they wanted him gone uh, and they couldn't do it. You know, he was they couldn't force him out because of age, couldn't force him out because of performance, because the guy was still performing. But he wasn't doing he wasn't playing along what they wanted. He wasn't a good old boy. Um, so they created a point system, which is what other departments have. And, you know, and I, I was all for it until I started looking at, at how much crap it was where. It, it, it did exactly what I didn't want it to do, and I'll get to that in a second. So based, based on a, a generalization of it, you have to achieve an average of 42 points per shift so that at the end of a three-month evaluation, you're up to your average, and then you, you, the incentive is to stay on the shift you bid for. So we only had two shifts, day shifts or night shifts. We worked 12-hour shifts. And at the end of that shift, if you weren't, at the end of the three months, if you weren't uh, achieving your points, which I was not, once his, once his point system evaluation was brought into place, I didn't even remotely come close to hitting my points. Um, did did most you, of the, the other officers come close to meet their points? They did. They did, and I'll explain why. I'll explain the difference and why. And I was rebellious. I was purposely rebellious. Um, if, if what they gave me was a letter of counsel, and I was, I was ordered to get my points up within a certain point, point period, otherwise I would be placed on remedial training, ultimately sent to a shift, uh, the opposite shift, and then if I didn't point up termination. But you had things like my, my system before, you know, was uh, I, I attacked what was necessary, DUIs, uh, arrestable offenses that, that should be arrested, not victimless crimes. I was not very big on you stop somebody, they got a little bit of baggy of weed on them, uh, they're walking down the street, you know, morally speaking, there, there's the law and then there's morals. I understand things are illegal. I understand that in the state of Illinois, you know, cannabis is not illegal, but the kid who has no job, 
who's who's 19, 20 years old, walking down the street at two o'clock in the morning because there's nothing to do in their town. Uh, he doesn't have a job. Uh, he, he lives in a home, two bedroom home with five other people and he's walking around clearing his head and he's got a baggie of weed on him and you just stop and make conversation and then arrest him for that. That's not policing. That's not policing. But the way that the point, so my job was DUIs. I personally took vengeance against DUIs. Um, I would make contact with gang members, uh, you know, and treat them with respect. And if there's criminal activity, there's criminal activity. Uh, responsive calls for service. If somebody calls about a burglary or if you got somebody walking down the street two o'clock in the morning, peering in car windows, you stop people for that kind of stuff. Good old fashioned policing, not revenue generating. That, that's not my forte. So when you have this point system and you have to achieve 41, 42 points per day, they have options like a traffic stop is two points. All right. So if you have, you know, if you, if you did 20 traffic stops that night, which is, it's unheard of. Now you're achieving your points, but an arrest for a misdemeanor would be three points. Uh, but arrest for felony would be seven points. So it's easier for somebody to stretch for a felony than it is for a misdemeanor. And what happened was exactly when this point system was brought in place was exactly what I knew would happen. And I was so irritated at it. Two specific instances I brought up to my commander, and I said, this is completely unacceptable, and that made the target up on my back. We had a guy in our town who was mentally handicapped, 44 years old, but he tested it as 16-year-old's uh, comprehension skills. Um, his mother died and his brother died, and his job, he literally lived, ate, slept, worked in the town, and the town is only 6,000 people. We would see him during the day riding his bike, because he never got a driver's license, to go to people's homes, solicit them to mow their lawns, make his money, and then at night, he would drink. That's what he did. And the, the past practice for the entire years I was there was if you saw him, you either followed him home or you convinced him to get in your squad car, and then you dropped him off at home, and that was it. In my, in my time there, he was never ticketed, never put in handcuffs, never arrested. Now, he was also belligerent at night. You'd stop him, and he'd be yelling at you, be swearing at you, get your quota, oh my gosh, get your quota. But if you saw him sober... He was a dormouse. He, was, he wouldn't say a word. So alcohol, obviously, you know, would trigger something. The problem I had is we had a female officer in our town who worked from January on midnight shift until September. So that's nine months. So that's nine months worth of seeing this person. Now, I don't know if it was because her points were low that night, but she stops him, which is something that, you know, either you follow him home or if you stop and put him back to the squad car. She writes him a ticket for his bicycle not having a headlight, which for the entire nine months of her seeing him, he didn't have a bicycle, a headlight on his bicycle. And then she writes him a $250 ticket for a village ordinance for public intoxication. I lost it. I lost it. I wrote a department email. I, I brought up state statutes showing how it is illegal for us to enforce a village ordinance for public intoxication. The state says that no city, municipality, uh, village uh, shall adopt a public ordinance for this state statute. It's illegal to do. And they, uh, they, they shut me up over it. A um, few weeks after that, this new guy who we hired uh, stopped somebody in a traffic stop. Driver, the driver had weed on him, so he wrote the driver a, a what we call a P ticket. It's a non-traffic ticket for the cannabis on him. The passenger had a, a pill, a single, it was like an oxycodone painkiller pain on her. And she flat out said, oh, I, uh, I wasn't aware I had this. My mother gave it to me years ago. <coughs> I have back pain. Um, I, she had no criminal history. They arrested her for a class four felony and sent her to bond court in the morning. That's not policing. That's not policing. You ruin someone's life 
by taking them out of the passenger side. They have a one pill on them. You send them to bond court, put a class four felony on their record because your point system is low. I, 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 I was enraged at that. That was not the job we swore to do. So, the so were, system were, other, were other police officers in the department? Just was anyone else speaking out? Was everyone fine with this? It was there any? No, other you get a there? lot of you get a lot of passive aggressive cops who seriously just go there, do their job. Um, I am one of the most outspoken ones. Uh, I, I don't make a lot of friends. A lot of guys think that I've you know I just why couldn't I just shut my mouth and play ball? Um, but once again, it's it's my thought of, you know, if I have my sister or my parents pulled over by a cop, I don't want them interacting with a cop like that, you know, and, and that's, that's the way that, uh, you know, that's just the way that policing shouldn't be done. So, and that just nothing more than revenue generating. Yeah, it goes back to, like you said at the, at the beginning of this podcast, why you became a police officer, because for selfish reasons can make you the best person you wanted to be. That's not being right. the best person that, that you can you be. Tell me, you tell me how, how the gang member who already has a bad, uh, we have a policy, it wasn't a policy, but it was a practice. You know, if you see gang members, you stop them, you interview them, you photograph them, and you do what's called a gang contact, and that's equivalent to points. I think you got four points for that. Well, here's the deal. You had the same people walking around every night of the week, and the town didn't have sidewalks. So it's a very easy stop to articulate. I observed the subject walking in the roadway, and you can stop them from obstructing the roadway. It's, it's BS. It's crap. Now you get this person, and you, you, you're, you're playing bingo. You know, you want to interview them. Where are you going? What are you doing? They don't have to talk to you. You know, you pat them down if they let you. You discover if they have contraband on them. Well, now your point's going up even more. The problem I have is that, once again, morally and ethically, if you've got a 22-year-old and he's walking around to clear his head at night because there's nothing else to do, and he's listed in this system, you know, in, 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 the, in the computer as a gang member, like a Latin king, and it's something he got in there at 15 years old, right? But he hasn't been doing anything for the last seven years. It was a stupid mistake he made by wearing gang colors and hanging out with other gang members. And they entered him as gang members. But now he's trying to get a legitimate job throughout his life. And, and it comes back in any kind of background search that he's a gang member. And the only way for that contact to go, to, to alleviate out of the system, is for him not, not to have police contact for five years. Don't you think that that is nothing shy of harassment for the same cops to, to pad their points on a nightly basis by stopping the same guy a couple times a week. It's really a extortion. I mean, if it's, it's disgusting is yeah. what it is. So I have a problem with that. I have a problem with any cop who thinks that that's police work. One, one thing that you talked about, um, I, I forget how it was phrased, but you were talking about bad cops in, in your one mm -hmm. video. And the reason why, because I, I think what triggered it, you were talking about a meme or something that there was. And, <clears throat> It was saying that, you know, why don't more cops speak out against, you know, bad cops, maybe using some of these practices that, that we're talking about right now. Right. And right. so what what is the reason why, in, in, in your opinion, why more cops don't speak out like yourself? Why they, more cops they, go along? They, here's, 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 here's one reason why. We have a specific department policy, a general order that says that you can't, um, there can't be any gossip um, and that you can't. It's along the lines of um, basically hurting someone's feelings. So if you and I are in a call together and, and, and I see a behavior that is uh, that needs to be corrected and I'm not your supervisor, but I bring you back to the PD and I say, hey, I saw this on a call. And, you know, maybe you could try doing something things differently this way, this way. You can be so sensitive that you can manipulate the way that the policy is written to say that I'm harassing you. 
Uh, that's, that's one reason. Number two, nepotism. Um, I can't tell you, my department alone, how many of people are hired because they have literally intimate relationships with command staff or friendships with command staff. So when you wind up saying, hey, you just hired a guy from the city of Chicago who's retired and you lateral him in on at, at top out pay at 90 something grand a year. And this guy has no problem dropping the N word in public while he's getting coffee at the gas station. It's a problem. If you have the deputy chief hires a female friend of his who she admits during an FTO program that she's having an affair with the deputy chief. And, and you go and say, hey, her behavior is unacceptable because she's violating department policy. She's making up rules as she goes. She's disobeying uh, commanding orders. How, how, is, how is anything supposed to be done by that? Uh, how, is, how, is, how is the behavior supposed to be corrected? Now, that's my department alone. My last department, um, I, I experienced something similar. But what I noticed is that when somebody passes the field training uh, program, you, the department has already invested thousands of dollars in them, academy training, equipment, education, field training, manpower hours. Then the chief, if he has to go to the mayor and say, we have to get rid of this person, and then the next person, the next person, the next person, or start writing them up, you're, you're, looking, at, um, you're, you're looking at an issue for the chief. If I'm in the same union as you, and I see you're doing something wrong, and I bring it to the chief's attention, now I'm a union member who is trying to get another union member in trouble, and that's not in the best interest of the union to to uh, investigate a union member. Does that make sense? It, it yeah, doesn't fly. Yeah. It doesn't fly. So shit, cop. Pardon my language. Bad cops are protected. Okay, so based on everything that's happened, you called for your police chief's resignation. You were ultimately terminated. What's What's the status of that right now? What's what's your next step? Uh, well, I have both a union representation and a personal lawyer, uh, and they're both confident in their words that this was clear retaliation. Um, and it, I, I don't know what I should or shouldn't talk about it, but I'll just say that they're both confident that this matter is going to be resolved very positively in my favor. Uh, my first court date, uh, May 24th, to, uh, to arbitration. So if, if you win, you could end up getting your job back? And, and absolutely. W- would you yes, go back and, and work for a round like In our in Arby, that's the that's the job that's the town that I swore the oath for. Uh, so many people are like, why don't you just go to another department and why don't you just do that? And I have to tell them two points of it. Number one, with how outspoken I am, no one will take me. Uh, I actually just spent a good portion of yesterday afternoon uh, talking with the police chief of, of a very large town uh, in the northwest suburbs, um, who's got you know several hundred officers sworn on there. And we were talking, and and he, you know, he thought I was looking for a job, and I'm like, no, I'm not. You know, I'm looking to maintain the job that I was at. I want my department back. You know, those are the people that I care about. Why I don't want to move to a, another department where the problems will be similar or, or substantially different when I have an opportunity and intimate knowledge with my own department to fix those problems. So that's, uh, yes, absolutely. No questions asked. I would go back in a heartbeat. Um, just to go back to the point system for a minute here. <clears throat> you said that the reason or one of the reasons why the point system was was utilized was to get rid of or to push out a uh, police officer that was not follow, falling in line. Um, Correct. Is, is it, or have you seen, have you heard of point systems being used maybe as a way to uh, channel you know, policing efforts into different areas that maybe land more funding, more federal, more state funding? Well, of course, you have to look at it, like I said. Um, if you're doing, if you get two, two points for a traffic stop, two points for traffic stop, but you get seven points for a felony, you know, a felony's an arrest. Then you got tow fees. You're towing someone's car. 
and then you got the storage fee for uh, or the um, the village administration fee, which is several hundred dollars. And you have to pay that village administration fee first. So if I stop you, and you have, you know, that pill on you that that, that one cop stopped for, well, then you got a state court date, right? And the state gets its portion of that with fines that they wind up uh, doing. But your car gets towed, and it could be two fifty to get your car, you know, for your car getting towed out. But before you pay that two fifty toll fine, you have to go to the village hall first. And you have to pay that another $250 to the village hall for a, quote, administration fee. To get, then you go and you pay the $250 to get your car out. For as many DUIs as I knocked down, I had 40 DUIs from, from uh, September, for January 1st, uh, 2015. My last DUI was in September 2015. I had 40 DUIs. You, that's 40 times, uh, times $250 at least in, in admin fees. How, much, how many thousands of dollars did I bring in for the village that year? A lot. I mean, that's that's DUIs alone. You know, and they started to get irritated at me when, you know, when I was doing two, sometimes two DUIs a night. And when I started to back off my numbers, I was hauled in the office every freaking shift. Are you okay? What's wrong with you? And, you know, are you feeling all right? And then it turned into, you know, if you're not happy here, we'll be more than happy to give you a reference somewhere else. So, and that's when the bad taste of my mouth started to go on. It's like, you're only as good as, as what you do that, you know, tomorrow, not today. And that, that's when I realized that this is not the job I signed up for, and it has to change. Speak, speaking of DUIs, I know that a, a lot of my listeners, that, that's, that's going to sort of sort of trigger them a little bit. We do have a – this is a, a libertarian podcast, so some of my listeners will probably be completely against the idea of a DUI in the first place. And I don't want to really get into the weeds on, on all of that, but I do want to ask you one specific question, and you can take it in whichever direction you want. Based on uh, – what's the, the level for DUI is what, 0.08? Correct. Do you think that where that level is set um, can sort of be sort of be counteractive and have the opposite um, the, the opposite intention? Whereas somebody who's drinking might just think, well, if, if I have you know if I have one beer, I'm going to be over. So you know, I, I, there's basically the bar is is so so low that you you can't you can't really stay under it if you're drinking at all. So do you think that maybe causes some people? to sort of abuse that and maybe it's 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 a convoluted it's black and white and it's convoluted at the same time because i don't have that great of a tolerance i'm five foot seven i'm 210 pounds i'm, I'm a pretty big short man um and uh, another guy who's you know six foot tall 160 pounds who's been drinking a lot longer than i have you know it's, a, it's based on impairment impairment now, the way that the warning to motorists reads is, you know, alcohol content in your in your system of 0.08 or more, blah, blah. But what if you have somebody who's, you know, 0.15 or 0.16, so that's double the legal limit, but there's no impairment, no slurred speech, uh, you know, no loss of balance, completely does fields, but they blow, you know, that, that 0.16. Are they DUI based on the law, how it's written? Are they DUI based on their impairment? What is their physical ability? Um, I am very ruthless against DUIs. I truly do not think, just blanket across the board, you know, not to remove the impairment, but this is my personal view you know, because I'm basing this off of my perception on what happens to me when I drink. I shouldn't be behind the wheel of a car. That said, you know, I've also seen way too many car accidents, way too many, you know, uh, fatalities where the drunk always walks away because they're more relaxed at the, you know, at the state of impact than the family of three that they killed. But um, DUI laws, it's it's not the it's not the DUI itself that I have a problem with. It's the law. It's it's the the court uh, findings in the 40 
40 DUIs that I wrote for 2015. Not once had I been to court. That tells me that plea deals were being made. So, right. you know, when I was a bartender, you know, back in, in the 90s, it was it was embarrassing when you talked about a DUI and people would never talk about it towards, you know, later on, you know, like the mid two thousands, when I would go to bars and overhear people's talking, they would say, well, you know, when I got my second DUI, it was no longer taboo and embarrassing. So that to me is telling me that we have a society shift change where, okay, you get a DUI, you call a lawyer to spend five grand, then uh, you get a bump down to reckless driving. And there you go. It's a cash cow. DUIs are a cash cow for Illinois. Yeah, I I can understand that. I think, Hopefully, maybe the, the market has started to maybe minimize the problem with people driving intoxicated who have no business being on the road with uh, services like Uber and Lyft, where right. it's a little easier to get some transportation. So I, 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 I'd be curious to see what the numbers have been in the past couple of years if they've – because you would think they should trend down because more people are using it's amazing. ride sharing. But. Yeah, it is. But you know what's still amazing is I, I couldn't I, – I can't remember what holiday recently passed um, – I think it may have been New Year's Eve. No, Super Bowl Sunday. Excuse me. It was Super Bowl Sunday, and I left uh, my parents' house, and I went back home. And in a span of 30 minutes driving from their house to my house, I saw three DUIs in the road. I mean, people who were shifting lanes. And I'm like, it still blows me away that even though you know the consequences, and I'll throw, you know, you, hey, you, you drink, you drive, you lose, all that, all that promotion – People still have no problem doing it. There's a lot of professional drunks out there who drink and drive. Yeah, I'm, I'm not denying that. I'm definitely not denying that. Unfortunately, Dominic, I think we're, we're running out of time here. I do want to give you a chance to plug anything new that you're working on. Let my listeners know where they can find your videos, find your blog posts, and where they can interact with you on social Every, media. Thank you so much. Every single thing. Our central hub is izzo.us, I-Z-Z-O.us. And it gives a listing of the upcoming speaking events I'll be given. I'll be in our nation's capital uh, on July 29th speaking for uh, the Rally for America. Um, other other personal speakings I'll be doing. Uh, I know I'll be in either Texas or California coming up mid-year. Um, we have all of our videos that go to Facebook and YouTube. Uh, everything is at izzo.us, I-Z-Z-O.us. Uh, you, know, you can support what we're doing, get a T-shirt, make monetary donations for the academy we're trying to uh, build. Uh, just everything is I-Z-Z-O, izzo.us. Okay, so follow Dominic Izzo on social media. Check out his videos. I really recommend it, guys. And I want to thank you so much for coming on the show, Dominic. Thank you for having me. I appreciate that. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed my interview today with Officer Dominic Izzo. I don't know if you can tell by my voice, but I'm losing my voice. I got some some weird combination of uh, allergies and maybe a cold. I don't know what the heck it is, uh, but I'm recording this a couple of days after I record the interview, so that's why I sound maybe a little a little bit worse a little worse for the wear. So bear with me as I struggle through this conclusion. Now, Officer Dominic Izzo, I think we can all agree that. He He's an officer who walks the walk. He did admit that he didn't always walk the walk. When he first started out as a police officer, when he got back into the force, as I think he's like a 40-year-old police officer, he was very aggressive and he was going after you know, people walking down the street and shaking them down for, for a bag of weed and whatnot, doing little drug busts and ruining people's lives. Um, luckily, he did wake up to that. He did realize that that was the wrong way to go about policing. 
And thankfully, he's spoken out. He's spoken out against corruption. He's spoken out against this ridiculous point system that we talked about, which point systems like this are very common, as Dominic said, very common across policing. And a lot of the time, these point systems are used as a way to steer cops in a direction that leads to more arrests, more convictions, more felonies in directions that lead to more funding, more federal funding, more state funding, more money in the police department. So that is a danger with the current police system that we have. And you got to respect Officer Dominic Izzo for putting it all on the line, putting his job on the line, his livelihood, and standing up for the truth. I mean, that is just fantastic. Now, I know there's some libertarians out there that they were probably nodding their head and, and agreeing with everything that Officer Izzo was saying, as, as, as was I, and then they came to DUIs, and he was talking about his DUI enforcement. DUIs, from a libertarian perspective, it is a, it is a victimless crime. I mean, a, a victimless crime, assuming that uh, when this person is, when a person is pulled over for a DUI and they haven't damaged any property, they haven't harmed another individual, if they're just pulled over for swerving or something like that, that's a victimless crime. Now, one thing I will say on DUIs, I don't think I've talked about it on this show before, but a lot of people don't realize that in a more free society where the government didn't have control of my roads, if they were private roads, very well, the toll roads, private roads, the person who controlled the road, owned the road, would want to make it a safer road and might institute some form of of a, uh, a DUI checkpoint, some form of a mechanism that would keep people from getting inebriated and driving on their road. So the free market could introduce something like that. Now, I definitely don't support the tactics that police use today. I don't support DUI checkpoints. And I don't think Dominic was talking about DUI checkpoints. I could be wrong. He, I think he was mostly talking about pulling people over after he witness them swerving or driving recklessly. So that's, I mean, driving recklessly, putting other people's safety in jeopardy on the road, um, that is a, a violation of the NAP. And we've talked about that before on this show. So <clears throat> there's a couple ways to look at it. I don't want to dwell too much on that one aspect of it because I think it's it's important to, to understand. And the reason that I don't push back when I'm interviewing someone uh, when I don't push back on little uh, on uh, on things like that on on the DUI uh, aspect of this, is because we're talking about ideas, and if you can get people to understand why policing is broken, that is so important, and I think that is what Officer Rizzo is absolutely trying to do. He's pointing to some of the causes that are causing these policing methods that are ruining so many lives. There is a there is an incentive, there is a reward for police officers to go after nonviolent drug offenders. There is a reward in these point systems for them to do this. They they can um, obviously if they're getting more points, if they're consistently getting more points and they can get promoted, they can make more money. The system is built this way. And on top of that, you probably wouldn't need as many police officers in a lot of these precincts across the country if you didn't have a war on drugs. Just having the war on drugs provides police officers with a avenue to direct resources into 
where they're able to ruin people's lives, unfortunately. I want to thank you guys for, for listening today. My voice is about shot, so just, just a couple notes, and then uh, and I'll let you all be on your way. So you can join us in the Lions of Liberty Forum to discuss this show, to talk about this interview today with Officer Dominic Izzo. You can join the Lions of Liberty Forum by going to Facebook, typing in that search bar at the top, Lions of Liberty Forum, Click join, and as long as you have a profile picture and you look like a real person, and if you've posted some libertarian stuff or some stuff about criminal justice reform, that'll that'll help you even more quickly to get in. There's a couple ways that you can support the show also. One way, of course, is to share the show. So take this episode, shoot it out to your networks. Another way is to, if you haven't yet, go into iTunes, subscribing first of all, and second of all, giving us a five-star rating, leaving us a nice little review that helps us out with the iTunes rankings. I know a lot of people, I know a lot of you do not use iTunes, and that's fine, that's great, but iTunes is the number one podcasting app, and it helps us tremendously if we can get some great ratings, some great reviews, it helps us to move up the charts, and it's going to help this message, this message of liberty, this message of criminal justice reform, it's going to help it to reach more ears. So I appreciate it, and I thank you in advance for doing that. Two more ways to help. You can check out our Lions of Liberty store. You can find that at lionsofliberty.store. You can buy beer koozies, t-shirts, uh, long sleeve t-shirts, baseball shirts, we have some uh, V-neck shirt. We've got all different kinds of shirts, three different designs. So go check it out. Buy some stuff. All that money will come right back into producing this show. And if you want to contribute, if, if you want to help on a more regular basis, please think about joining our patron program. And you can join by going to lionsofliberty.com support. And by joining for the lowest level is $5 a month. You can join at $10 or $25 or anywhere in between. But those are the three levels. And at $5, you will get access to all of our exclusive content. And I think the next piece of exclusive content we have coming out is actually our second Conspiracy Theory Roundtable. So if you want to hear that, if you want to hear the conspiracy theories that uh, you know that, that we're sympathetic to that that we believe could be could be accurate could be true could be something more to them then you're gonna have to kick us at least five bucks a month to get that audio and uh, it's real easy to sign up it's real easy to access that audio once you do sign up so I highly encourage you to do that and of course once you get up to the to the 10 and the 25 dollar levels there are way more perks you get uh, free t-shirts uh, discounts on merchandise at 25, you get to have a conference call with us uh, once a month and talk about the direction of the show and help to plan uh, going forward, who we interview, what we talk about. That's all I have for the show today, guys. Thank you so much for listening. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning. <laughs>